welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding, our Misunderstanding Recovery Podcast. Much more misunderstanding, much more of our misunderstanding. Today we have Drew and Buddy. <laughs> it's going to be a conversation between Buddy and Drew today. We're going to talk about the 27th verse. I will read Stephen Mitchell. Actually, I'll read Jonathan Starr. You want to open us with Stephen Mitchell, Drew? Sure. A good traveler has no fixed plans and is not intent upon arriving. A good artist lets his intuition lead him wherever it wants. A good scientist has freed himself of concepts and keeps his mind open to what is. Thus, the master is available to all people and doesn't reject anyone. He is ready to use all situations and doesn't waste anything. This is called embodying the light. What is a good man but a bad man's teacher? What is a bad man but a good man's job? If you don't understand this, you will get lost, however intelligent you are. It is the great secret. Thanks, Drew. Here is the Jonathan Starr, verse 27. A knower of the truth travels without leaving a trace, speaks without causing harm, gives without keeping an account. The door he shuts, though having no lock, cannot be opened. The knotty ties, though using no cord, cannot be undone. The sage is always on the side of virtue, so everyone around him prospers. He is always on the side of truth, so everyone around him is fulfilled. The path of the sage is called the path of illumination. He who gives himself to this path is like a block of wood that gives itself to the chisel. Cut by cut, it is honed to perfection. Only a student who gives himself can receive the master's gift. If you think otherwise, despite your knowledge, you have blundered. Giving and receiving are one. This is called the great wonder, the essential mystery, the very heart of all that is true. Wow, that is powerful. Now, Jonathan Starr is almost on another level than any of these. I like the line in his towards the beginning about giving without keeping account. Let's just talk about the Jonathan Starr today. We'll just take it from the top and work stanza by stanza if you want. I think this one, it speaks to me the most for sure. We can bring in some of these others as stands as work, but uh, I think he hit the nail on the head for me on this one. Mm-hmm. I'll read the first stanza. A knower of the truth. Oh, before we get started, for any announcements, go to buddyc.org under resources. There'll be a link uh, in the episode notes on 30 ways to stay 30 Ways to Stay Sober Before, During, and After the Holidays to help you if uh, the holidays get you a little squirrely. You can use 
You could use that list as a resource. There's a lot of other resources there as well. So put BuddyC.org to use. Okay, the first stanza of the Jonathan Star, verse 27. A knower of the truth travels without leaving a trace, speaks without causing harm, gives without keeping an account. The door he shuts, though having no lock, cannot be opened. The knot he ties, though using no cord, cannot be undone. Any thoughts, Drew? Just the the first half of that especially just speaks to being being honest and doing what's right and not making a show of yourself, traveling without leaving a trace. You're being a good person in the world, good visitor going around, not causing trouble, cleaning up after yourself, speaking without causing harm, being open and honest, giving without keeping an account that's real giving where you're not not expecting something in return or not not keeping in mind the one time you gave to somebody and expecting them to give something back to you and being resentful because they're not that sort of thing right. um, so just a little, little virtuous stuff up there i was thinking about that traveling without leaving a trace rather than thinking about physical traveling how we travel through people's lives mm-hmm. and how we leave wreckage is what we call it recovery yeah. and how we can travel through lives without leaving that wreckage now without causing resentment without causing harm without spreading fear yeah I like that without because what's the trace we let go of it's trash or shit, something that we just don't want. We leave, we li- we don't leave things we want. We leave wreckage. And that we learn not to leave wreckage in our lives, in the lives of others. Speaks without causing harm would be part of that leaving no trace, I think. And then the ultimate of that would be giving without keeping an account and couldn't you maybe i just thought about this read those backwards if we give yeah. without keeping account we will cause no harm and leave no trace mm-hmm. yeah and we could use it as red flags too if we're causing harm in others lives or we still see wreckage that we leave in relationships and such if we can't have an interaction without getting angry that's not leaving, that's leaving a trace. That's causing harm. We need to learn how to give without keeping an account. The way I learned to give without keeping an account is I just learned to start giving. Opportunities arise and I just give. First, I kept account, but eventually I learned not to. Eventually it grew into, and I can still keep account if I'm not careful. But I will know, I know where my motivation is if I'm keeping account. Yeah. How do you learn to give, Drew, without keeping an account? How, how do you learn to give? I guess would be the way to say it. What, how does that work for you? Because the rest of us in recovery, I know you, you work on, you have to work on that like the rest of us do. Mm-hmm. 
the giving part hasn't hasn't been the problem for me as much as the keeping account of my giving. That's been more my problem is you know, doing something for the express purpose of getting something out of it. Right. Which that's not truly giving. Just doing the thing for the sake of doing the thing and being happy about it. Being giving myself a little pat on the back. <laughs> that's not ever a bad thing. Feeling feeling a little pride for forgiving and not not expecting something back. The more I do that, and the more I recognize it, and the more I not just feel good about it, but uh, feel a little bit of pride for doing something that's not that easy for people to do. That gives me a little motivation to keep doing it. Mine starts with little things. I remember the first little things I started doing in that way was not taking the best parking space at wherever I was going. Mm-hmm. Not saying nothing about it. Not I've been doing it for years and years. But that was the first way that I started. And I could say, their fat asses need to walk. So, so I'll... Mm-hmm. I take care of myself. I'm slim and trim. I can park up front and they let make them walk. Y'all those little excuses that you can find not to be generous. That's not about them. That's about me, me making space for them. And if I start making space for them in little ways, that grows. Yeah. And then these next two, I think are good. The door he shuts. Though having no lock cannot be opened, the knot he ties, though using no cord, cannot be undone. I think that's the work of compassion. Those things that we learn to give without account, those ways that we learn to do for others as we would have them do for us. Making room for people in our life. Opening in our heart to them. What can we do for them today? Those things, they are the doors that don't need locks or the knots that are tied with no ropes. Things that can't be undone in a good way. Is that your interpretation of that or do you have something different? Yeah, I struggled with an interpretation at first, but I like your interpretation. I didn't think about it going to the to compassion, but I see it for sure. Yeah, because he goes to compassion in the giving without keeping. Mm-hmm. Actually, all three of those are compassionate acts. Mm-hmm. If you guys get the the Daily Dow thought, which is you can sign up for it, buddyc.org. It's a free thing. I'm taking these thoughts and fleshing them out into a thought and a, a quote a corresponding usually a corresponding AA quote or some other quote and a thought and a, a uh, affirmation and then I added a, a word that describes love so that we can start expanding our thinking on what love is because love's a four letter word for a lot of people they don't but I hear the word love and they turn off because they don't really understand what that means and I, I noticed that, so I decided to start using some other words other than love to describe what virtue was, compassion. Giving without keeping an account 
is love. That's a form of love. Speaking causing no harm is a form of love. And traveling without leaving a trace is a form of love. All those things. Anytime that we're doing anything for someone or something other than ourselves is a form of compassion. It's us getting out of ourselves, which is, if you are interested in what we're reading, the Tao Te Ching, Day T-E is the word for virtue. And this is the path of the way of virtue. So this whole thing's about teaching us how to walk in love, is my interpretation. So that's what they're showing us here in verse 27, How to another way of how we walk in love, really. All right, the next stanza. The sage is always, oh, oh, this is a really good one. The sage is always on the side of virtue, so everyone around him prospers. He is always on the side of truth. So everyone around him fulfilled. It reminds me of, I think it's the 79th that talks about that the Tao does not take sides, but it's always on the side of the one who forgives. Same kind of deal. The vir- virtue doesn't take sides. We take the side of. I think what, what this does when we take the side of compassion, of virtue, of love in our life, that I believe that's the same side of this ever-expanding, ever-growing, ever-creating universe. So we're getting in that in line with that flow. So we expand, too. We grow, too. We prosper, too. Not to say bad things don't happen, because they do, but if if I remain in the moment, I can have peace and ride through whatever's going on. And I, just like water always runs downhill, my life always works into something good, into something prosperous, if I will allow it step out of the way. So if you're on the side of virtue, everyone around you prospers. That doesn't mean everyone has millions of dollars in their checking account. But I remember when when my son was real sick, right after it happened, and I sat and meditated for a couple of hours on this, in the middle of a bad situation, I prospered because I was at peace. It could even mean prospering in that way. A lot of times the, the ideas of words that we bring into to this from past <clears throat> Experience can can really muddy the possibility of us being free in it. He is always on the side of truth, so everything around him is fulfilled. Hmm, that's good. If you have anything, just jump in. Yeah, no, I I think that like you were saying, the prosper is not so much material as. I, I think the choice of the word fulfilled kind of fleshes out what what it means to prosper in this verse. Just more becoming becoming who that person actually is. If I'm going around in a virtuous way, being honest and compassionate and showing people I love them and care for them, then they know that they're safe. They know that they can be more themselves. They can 
they can be more creative or experimental or get to know themselves a little more without any fear of judgment or anything like that. It reminds me of something I read a year or two ago about how people tend to adopt the some personality traits of the people who they spend the, the three or five people who they spend the most time with. And this kind of reminds me of that. If I'm living a more or less virtuously, then hopefully the people around me will, it'll be a little contagious and, and spread a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I hear the guy that comes into AA. I was at a meeting last night. Talks about he had nothing but a paper bag with his stuff in it when he went to rehab. It's like the country song played backwards. (laughs) (laughs) He's gotten everything back. And they're gauging how well they're doing by what they have. And I think we all do that at first. That's nothing that well, I'm here condemning. I don't really mean to, I don't mean to be condemning it. I, I observed it, I guess is the way. And observed that I was the same way. I think that as we grow, that if we really have a desire to, to take this spirituality a little further, to awake a little more, we're going to have some of those Job experiences, those experiences where it doesn't look like prosperity that we think of and doesn't look like prosperity that other people think is prosperity, which is more difficult for me is what other people think. Uh Uh, There's some interesting things around that Job story. If you notice at first he was giving offerings, this is from the old Testament. He was giving offerings in case his children sinned. So, he was in fear the whole time. It started in fear, which is something to note. <clears throat> and and then at the end, it says that he got relief when he prayed for his friends. So I can see recovery in Job too. Check it out if you don't believe me. But the, it does says that he got relief when he prayed for his friends. I love that. But the point is that what prosperity is changes over time and what it can be. I, I think prosperity becomes more of being able to live in the moment and accepting the moment as it is right now and being first acceptable of the moment and then living in the moment and then enjoying and being grateful for the moment. And when you're grateful for the moment, you start experiencing peace that you've never been able to feel before that has nothing to do with external things. That conversion starts happening where instead of looking at these externals that we think are going to make us happy, we look internally for that. And it's easy to say, and we see a taste of that, or I did, coming into recovery. But as time goes on, if we're really wanting the spiritual walk, for me, I have situations come up that cause me 
to become aware of ways I still look externally for my peace and joy that I did not realize that I was looking externally for. And I said, oh, wow, I still think that is something that I have to be happy. Oh, oh, I need to be free of that. And it's just little, just things. It's, it's amazing. Sometimes it's the littlest of things, but it's a gift to start becoming aware of those things. Okay, the path of the sage is called the path of illumination. He who gives himself to this path is like a block of wood that gives itself to the chisel. Cut by cut, it is honed to perfection. Who gives himself to the path. Get, getting out of my own way. Uh, Man, there's so much of me I want to hold on to. <laughs> that This is what the first three steps describe, too. The third step, talking about making a decision to turn your will and your life, all of your cares. Let me read it so I get it exactly right. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. I had somebody that was reading one of the devotions that wanted me to, that didn't like the hymn. They're, they're looking to rewrite. They're going to do another revision of the big book in 2025, I think. And hopefully they'll get some of the masculine text more inclusive. It was written in 1935. So we have to have some tolerance for that kind of thing. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. So that's all the things I care about. That is giving myself up. It's the very same thing. And it describes a person who gives themselves up. And the only way I can do that decision in the third step is following through with the rest of the steps. Because the fourth step inventory, talking about it with my sponsor, and then the change steps in six and seven, and then making the list of the people we had harmed, and then making our amends to them is all part of letting go of ourself. That's how we give ourselves up. That's the whole process is of giving ourselves up. And it's doing the things we decided to do in the third step. So if we have things that we're still carrying ourselves, then we're not fully complete. We haven't fully finished the decision in the third step. And I think that is the lifelong process in recovery is turning more of our will, more of our cares, letting those things go, giving themselves up. Cut by cut, it is home to perfection. So the uncarved block, let's talk about the block for a minute. He's saying that if you give yourself up to this path, the path of virtue, and if you're giving yourself up to the path, it looks like you'd be doing what we talked about in the first stanza that you learn to give without an accounting, speak without causing harm. Those things are giving yourself up. So if you give yourself up, you're like a block of wood that gives itself to the chisel. The block does not dictate what it's made into, what's done with it. The block is at the total mercy of the chisel and the master car, the master. The block has no control at all. The block can't dictate anything as to how it's used, what it's used for. 
when the master could decide he needed kindling. It's not up to the wood. The block could be anything. can't dictate anything about what it is going to become. It gives itself to the chisel. Cut by cut, it is honed to perfection. He can only be honed to perfection if he lowers all resistance, right? He can't resist and be honed at the same time. Only a student who gives himself can receive the master's gift. It would sound like the block of wood is doing the giving. It's like this, that mirror again. We're getting what we're getting, right? The student gives himself, and then he can only receive the master's gift once he gives. You can't get the master's gift. You, you can't get the sculpture before you give the block. <laughs> doesn't work that way. There's vulnerability in being the block. Hmm. I like this next one. If you think otherwise, despite your knowledge, you have blundered. There comes the thinking again. Thinking and knowledge. We act our way into right thinking rather than think our way into right acting. There's nothing wrong with knowledge, nothing wrong with thinking. What I have learned is that thinking for me does not lead, or knowledge, lead to surrender or recovery. I couldn't understand recovery good enough to do, oh, I understand what's happening, now I can do it. No, that that didn't work for me. Did it work for you, Drew? <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. Didn't you try that? You're a smart guy. Didn't you? How did you navigate that when you were getting sober? Just curious. Oh, the tried to overthink it and then overthink the overthinking and then think about that some more and just try to try to put the best thoughts in my mind. And that just didn't work. Just thinking about it didn't do anything. It, it, it actually took action <clears throat> before before anything worked but you know, I, I tried my hardest to think my way out of it i think we all didn't mm -hmm. i think yeah i think we all do because the way of not thinking is not a way that we're taught our culture letting i guess the the best phrase to describe that is letting go and letting god let's say i never thought about that as letting go I thought about that as getting God to help me. And I held mm -hmm. on the whole time and he just helped me pull harder. That's how I thought about it. Well, if God's going to help me and we're going to pull it together. Uh -huh. That's not how it worked. I, I had to stop trying altogether, which is the opposite of everything I was ever taught in growing up or in business. Nothing. You don't let anyone run over you. It doesn't work. Then figure out what's not working about it and try again. Work harder, do better, double down. All of that is bite your bottom lip and go at it. That whole, that was how I was raised. That was what I was taught to do. And I remember every, in my office, I would work every Tuesday night, all night just to catch up. That was Tuesday night was my catch up night and I worked 24 hours and caught up and then would keep on going the next day. And that was what I did. 
most weeks, actually, for years, because that was how I kept up with everything. That was that overwork, that over effort, that thinking that so much of that had to do with me. And despite that knowledge, we've blundered because that thinking and knowledge does not help me to give myself up. It tells me, oh, wait a minute, maybe we can do it this way. Maybe we can do it that way. We're talking strictly with recovery. Now, I have learned how to apply this to stuff outside of recovery, but it's for that, it's more of approaching something from a place of powerlessness, sitting with it, and moving forward when you see a way rather than push. I feel myself doing that push, push. I try to stop take a breath and say, okay, I'm really pushing this. I shouldn't have to push it. What am I missing here? And I've never had a time in anything that I was successful through push, push, that I was not more successful through taking a pause, looking at it, sitting with it until I was confident of a way to proceed. Yeah. Reminds me that thinking is not us, Drew. Mm-hmm. Because we we hear that too. Just because we have thoughts, those thoughts are not us. The majority of those thoughts aren't real. Not real thoughts. But what, 99.99 some odd percent of our thoughts are just repetitive and not real? Our thoughts were a friend. Drew, if you were my friend, you are my friend, but if you were the friend that was my best friend with me all the time that gave me all these thoughts that my thinking does, you would no longer be my friend <laughs> because I wouldn't want to hear all that BS. Uh-huh. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. I hear those thoughts again a minute later and I'm like, yeah, that sounds, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> <sighs> all right. Now this next verse is a mind blower. This is the one that, most people, if they hadn't had issue by now and they're still listening, this is one that might cause them to fast forward to their next podcast. Giving and receiving are one. What do you think about that? Can you comment on that? That's a tough one. Oh, that's, it makes, it makes total sense to me. When I'm giving, I'm, you know, pure giving, I'm receiving as well. Um, I'm receiving the the joy of giving and you know, receiving the satisfaction of doing something nice, even though I wasn't asked to. And when I'm receiving something, I'm I'm also giving the person who's giving it to me. I'm giving them the opportunity to give me something, and that's. <laughs> that that sound, might sound like a way to just put some spin on being selfish, taking stuff from people. But I, I, I think it's important to give people an opportunity to do something nice for me instead of telling them, no, I got it, or that's okay, you don't have to. Let them actually do something nice for you. I, I'm receiving something, but I'm also giving them the gift of, of of giving. I think you can't have one without the other. And he calls it the great wonder, the essential mystery, the very heart of all that is true. In Course in Miracles, they talk about this a lot. 
Another couple of ways they describe it is that giving and receiving are the same thing. There's no difference between giving and receiving. And that would fit with this. If giving and receiving are one, do any of the rest of them, do we see any of the other translations that go this far? I don't see any of the others that go to this extent. What is good but a bad man's teacher? What is bad but a good man's job? If you don't understand this, you'll get lost however intelligent you are. It is the great secret. I think the reason that they're the same. Now, if you just take the R1 out of it, the hardest way for me to get past it was, how is giving and receiving the same thing? doesn't sound like the same thing to me. When I give, that hurts a lot more than when I receive. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the same because when I give, I'm really receiving. It's no different than the hand on the body feeding the mouth. The The hand received nourishment from feeding the mouth. So... You can't say that the hand doing that act did not benefit it because it did. And I think in the same way, we don't understand how when we're generous, when we give without keeping an account, when we cause no harm, when we travel without leaving a trace, how that really benefits us. That's how we prosper, really, if it's on the side of virtue. That's how virtue behaves. And as a result, virtue, you prosper, you fulfilled, because that's the actions of virtue. And I think in a negative way, I think we're always getting what we're giving. If you have drama in your life and you want to cut that drama out, I would suggest Noticing ways that I'm giving drama, starting there. And if you start cutting down on how you're feeding drama, anger, those things in your life, you will start seeing anger and drama leave your life. That's part of what the steps brought to my attention, too. Good conversation today. Thank you, Drew. Yeah, thank you. Enjoyed it. Anything to add? No, I can't think of anything. Giving and receiving are one. Okay, hope to see you next week. Thank you. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.